The original Loretta Brown Show, radio to open the heart, heal the soul, and awaken the consciousness. Good morning, Mr. Benny Mathers. Hi there. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Thank you. What's happening? Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. Just, you know, run the shows today. I'm back from a little bit of uh, calming. You had Nathan fill in for me last week. I I, did. Uh Yeah, he did a great job. Yeah, he did. And I went camping with the boys. We got a little uh, relaxation in, got a little sunshine. It's good times. I love that. I hope everybody listening that you've been enjoying the sun and that you're spending time with your family. Yep. I always kind of feel like, um, you know, life can get really, really busy and Mm -hmm. we forget to take a pause. And uh, it's kind of interesting, you know, this is just sort of random, but a lot of my people that I work with, a lot of my clients have been talking to me about balance in their life. Like, Like someone asked me the other day, she says, Loretta, you have such a busy schedule. How do you do it? And I go, sometimes I just stop. <laughs> it can be, you know, like, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. I was just saying yeah. it's, it's, it can be hectic a lot of the times. And next thing you know, like a month goes by. And I, I always would appreciate how you always uh, send it back to, you know, Jenny, because she, she's really uh, yeah. close to you and, and big heart. And even though she's in Hawaii doing her thing, she's blowing up too. It, we, it's those take backs that you just can't forget. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's exactly. And aloha, Jenny Brown. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> She's like, mom. <laughs> it'll never stop. I know it'll never stop. That's kind of the way that goes. The love never ends. But uh, yeah, so for those listening, you're really going to uh, want to hear my show today because I do have a meditative practice. And I even I even say to people, listen, if all you can do is just stop, Remember those those three times of energies, right? And go, 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 go is just one of them, right? You know, and and then we've got you know, that kind of in between, and then we've got stop, and I, and I call it, <laughs> I call it my my sit and stare. That's what I do. That's that's you know, it's in between clients or in between or you know. The sit and stare. <laughs> like before the show, I was sitting and staring at the beautiful little hummingbirds and. You know, That's got to be a challenge in itself. They move pretty quick. I don't know if you can just stare at them. I bet they could beat you though, because they're pretty. Cool. Yeah, they can. But I, I cheat. I've, I have hummingbird feeders, right? So I put out new food. I'm just letting everybody know I put out new food, and and new ones came. And I went, oh, you like this? That's like good. This That's good. Yeah, so it is. So anyway, welcome to the show. I am the owner of Reiki Oasis, located right here in the Greater Seattle area for the last 27 years, and. There is a Reiki one class coming up on September 10th. If you would like to learn the beautiful art of Reiki, anybody can learn and it can become a part of your life. It just kind of, I don't know, in my opinion, it just sort of introduces you into this idea that you are more than your body and you have a lot of things available to you through your consciousness. Let's put it that way, through your connection to God and the divine. And so today is August 11th. Oh my goodness, we have a great big, huge full moon. We are coming to the end of the Lionsgate energy, which I've been talking about. That Lionsgate energy is activating our hearts, our third eyes. It's been helping to heal old wounds that may have risen during this time. And some of you may be finally free of that grief or that sadness that has burdened your hearts for such a long time. You've been dragging it along with you. It is time to close a chapter and open a new one. And this is the perfect time to uh, kind of show up for yourself maybe a little bit differently and even for the world. This energy is opening our higher chakras. It's bringing all kinds of downloads or uploads or 
you know, I sometimes am not happy with the words that we use for things, but it is a way to try to describe them. Um, a lot of people have been having what I call bleed through to the other world where they're saying things to me like, Loretta, I think I woke up and there were angels in the room, like what's going on, right? So that can be part of our discussion. And then there's all kinds of activated feelings of freedom, peace, creativity, and uh, the world out there does its thing. And always and always my message is to become strong and stable within yourself so that you are the one that brings the effect to the environment like a candle coming into a room. So as far as this full moon today goes, it is located in the sign of the water bearer Aquarius. And so this full moon, also called the Sturgeon Moon, is uh, reminding us that we each hold the key to shifting and changing our own emotional state. Ooh, uh-oh, yeah. So the water bearer is a metaphor for emotional clearing and transmutation. This is the third super full moon in a lineup of three super full moons. The first one was on June 14th. You might think back. <laughs> I'm having trouble tracking time these days. I look back and I go, wow, when was that, right? So the first full moon was in June. Then we had one in July. And now this final and third super full moon is going to be the final illuminator to help clear away things that you've been avoiding or suppressing in your lives. So Saturn's very active under this full moon and Saturn is um, can sometimes make us feel a little stifled or smothered or stuck, or it just has tendency to bring up that old stuff that, like I said, you've been trying to shove back into the shadow of your reality. Um, it, it's coming out, right? It's just simply gonna come out. So stay grounded set boundaries and then Aquarius the water bearer always teaches us to use the raw the power of our breath to clear emotionally psychic stuck energy so keep breathing I know it's funny because Aquarius is is a person holding like a water jug and 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 yet it's an air sign and people are always saying to me Loretta what is that that doesn't even make sense and I go well the water is coming up and that water does represent emotional content. And so when the air comes across the water, it changes the water, as you know, and it can help evaporate those things that have been in there and, and the warm air can help melt the water, you see. So you start to understand how it's really a strong alchemical time. And here we are in the full moon today. So remember um, that if harsh things arise in with you, there's always just an opportunity for greater growth. This full moon is closely connected with the Uranus North Node conjunction, which is the destiny. And so um, that is a major, <laughs> a major theme we've been working through. So it might bring things up. It might shake things up. There might be things coming out from under the carpet that have been hidden a long time we need to take a look at. And that's personally and collectively and globally. So the North Node conjunction will continue to reveal things through this month. And um, this on a personal level, it might be having you take a look at what is it that you've been relying on? What is it have you, that you've been using to navigate your life? And maybe it's time to change that up just a little bit. So make sure that you, I, I don't know, make a conscious decision 
in a way that honors you and then listen very carefully to my guest today because I think he's here on exactly the right uh, day. And so my guest today is Joseph Selby, known for creating bridges of understanding between the modern evidence-based discoveries of science and the ancient experience-based discoveries of the mystics. Joseph is a dedicated Kriya meditator for nearly five years. He's a founding member of Ananda, a worldwide spiritual movement, and has served in a wide variety of roles, including IT director, Ananda Village community manager, light bearer, and spearhead for Ananda's work in Europe and Seattle. We're going to be discussing his latest book, A Breakthrough, The Limits of the Brain. I can't wait. He's also the founder and CEO of TriStream, a leading edge web and interactive design agency, which helped pioneer user interface design for the web and for richly interactive web-based applications. Welcome to the show, Joseph. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, uh, I'm always paying attention to you know, what is happening in the present moment when you're here. And um, man, I have such a, a rich, I feel like you bring such a rich content to the show. So do, do we live in a hologram? Is our world real? What do you think, Joseph? <laughs> what a question. Well, physics, uh, particularly M-theory, for those who uh, follow the kind of deeper side of of science says that the entire physical universe is a holographic projection. And this is not a fringe theory. This is central to the kind of foundation of string theory and uh, quantum physics. So what does that mean? The world is still the world that we're used to. It's still uh, what we interact with. It, it, it isn't any less real than it is now, just because we view it as a holographic projection. But it gives the hint that it's not what it seems, that uh, basically the world that seems material, seems like it's made of substance, is really energy interacting with energy. And I think that helps us um, appreciate our own reality, that we're not this hard, dense physical matter that it's easy to think we are, but that even our physical bodies are made of energy. We have subtler bodies that are even higher frequency energy, but nothing that we interact with, that we feel, mm -hmm has a, a, you know, a real substantial reality. We have to deal with it as if it does, but underneath it is part of a, a bigger picture of creation. You know, um, before the show started, I was telling you, I woke up this morning very heavy in a very vivid dream, which I still kind of feel like I'm in it a little bit. And I, re I was talking to you a little bit about the fact that I sometimes feel like this is a dream, but this idea that our perception of this world, and I, I really want you to 
to talk about this, but our perception of the world really, does it, does it define our world? Does it shape our world? You know, how, how do, you know, like the name of your book, The Limits of the Brain, how does that all come into this picture? And that's a big question, I realize. It is a big question, but it's a great question because more than most of us realize, our brain is running the show, that we have created neural circuits just because anything that we do repeatedly, the brain creates a neural circuit to support it. So that can be walking, that can be talking, that can be uh, emotional reactions, that can be, uh, it can trigger thoughts. So these circuits are, the, the brain is obliging. It will support anything we do, whether it's good for us, bad for us, <laughs> brain doesn't care. The brain just supports whatever we do. But those supports become real physical structures in our brain which automatically get triggered by various things, whether that's uh, a sound, a smell, uh, a comment, something we read. And then that trigger puts us into behaviors that are highly automatic. The biggest and most significant aspect of that is that it also keeps us very involved and uh, interacting with the, the world that's revealed to us by the senses. But there's another whole world that we can also perceive that is much greater, much uh, more fluid, much more pure energy than this physical world. It's the world the mystics talk about. It's the world that saints and sages talk about. It's the God-created infinite consciousness that we are a part of. All of those things are real, but our brain doesn't uh, support us being aware of them. When we were children, many children have the experience of seeing angels, of being aware of subtler realities. And gradually we get talked out of it. And we also get interested in uh, operating in the physical world, because if we don't, <laughs> you know, we need to talk, we need to walk, we need to operate within this physical world. And that kind of takes over all of our attention. And we lose that innate awareness of deeper, more subtle realities. And therefore, the way I say is we've made ourselves neurally blind to anything except the physical world. So we've wired ourselves, not up by intention, but out of necessity, out of ignorance, we've wired ourselves to just be aware of this world. But what the saints and sages tell us is that we can rewire, we can meditate, we can pray, we can have deep spiritual experiences that do the same thing which is it supports anything that we do repeatedly. So if we dip into spirit repeatedly, we develop neural circuits that support that, that take us up into our higher 
chakras that take us up particularly into the point between the eyebrows and the, the forebrain. And then that subtle awareness can become a neurally supported habit as well. Well, I love um, what you're saying and, and thank you. It's easy to follow your explanations of things that could be quite complicated. So if I'm understanding you correctly, the neural pathways, which are a functionality of the brain, right? Like we're talking the brain, right? Wires itself or rewires itself through repetition. So, and by the way, <laughs> I'm kind of giggling because yeah, that was my experience as a child, right? Like, so I was born a little bit you know, energetic, let's put it that way, maybe a little bit spiritually awake and saw all kinds of things and did, uh, it didn't actually, I wasn't able to shut it off, but I was able to hide it mm -hmm. until I couldn't, right? Um, but this idea that many, many people out there probably experience things, a, a realization that we are not just this 3D world, and then they don't trust it, right? Because they don't have anything around them that helps enforce that for them. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about how you got into all this? And I, I want to point out to the listening audience, you have a beautiful picture of Yogananda over your shoulder. And um, the energy of that's really coming through to me. Um, I love Yogananda. Anyway, if you could just tell us a little bit about your story and how you got into all this, because you have been meditating for 40, 50 years. Yeah, I think... Uh, my story can be kind of encapsulated by my experience in my college years. So I went to the uh, University of Colorado in Boulder, fresh out of high school, and very much uh, was on the path of getting a science degree. And I was deep into microbiology and the, the other sort of hard science study, physics and chemistry, et cetera, that surrounds a major like that. And I, I liked it, I love science. I love the, yeah. the precision of science, the uh, exactitude of the, the process. But in the middle of that, I had a profound psychedelic experience. Oh. And it wasn't my first, I had many, what you might consider recreational experiences where, uh, you know, you just laughed and giggled over how it changed your perception and you saw lights in different ways, et cetera. But this one was different. I had a deep sense of peace and well-being. I felt myself so calm, so centered, so in the moment that all my interactions with the people that I connected with during that time, uh, I felt, and I, and I could see that they felt that I was much more present with them. I was much more loving with them. And I saw this as the person that I had always wanted to be. The, the best of myself came out, but I also felt this deep sense of it being sacred that I was experiencing um, God in myself, 
and my higher self. So this really uh, triggered a lot of changes in my life. One of which is I changed my major from microbiology to uh, philosophy and, and history of ancient worlds like Greece and eventually led me to studying India as well. And then that led step-by-step step to my connection to Yogananda and then from Yogananda to uh, living and being a part of Ananda, the spiritual community I still live in uh, 50 years later. But I never lost the keen interest and deep appreciation for science. So that was always woven in with how I perceived myself, how I perceived life, how I taught courses and classes, which I did many. In fact, I started the, uh, co-started the uh, Center for Ananda in Seattle, which is still very much uh, a, a going thing, strong, I have a beautiful temple now. So I did a lot of teaching, but I always had that connection. I always saw that not only my own experience, but many people I talked to, they need or want that scientific confirmation for spiritual truths. Yeah. And, there, and there are many people who just can't bring themselves to embrace the notion of subtle reality or the, the reality of God, because they think science rules it out. Yeah. And it's such a shame because science does anything but rule it out. The discoveries of science really support that infinite consciousness, the need for infinite consciousness, which is God. Yeah. Um, I, of course, am not a scientist, but I completely appreciate you mixing science with spirituality and I know there's others that are doing that, Amit Goswani and, and other people that I've had on my show have talked about this, but it really has been one of the things I've ran into my whole life too, where it's like, people are like, what is it that you do, Loretta? And it's kind of like, well, it's what I be, right? First of all, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, they're always looking for that tangible evidence. So is God real? Can God be proven? Can this consciousness be proven? Um, not with the discoveries of science to date. Okay. I think perhaps someday, but it would require that science move away from its um, matter energy only focus and to actually uh, expand that experimental sphere to include science. Now there are in fairness, many scientists who uh, study what's known as a psi phenomenon, and uh, Dean Radin at the Noetics Institute are a wonderful example of that, and there are other examples. So it's not as if it has gone without scientific study, but it's very much on the fringe of modern day science. And it, it gets, uh, in, in my opinion, uh, disparaged by what it's called. It's called the paranormal. Yeah. So it suggests that even if it's real, it's not really real. 
it's always paranormal, you know, it's not a, uh, a, a core foundation of reality. But I think in time, it could become that. But meanwhile, science can support the uh, testimony of saints and sages. You can find, you know, going back to Fritjof Capra's The Tao of Physics, you can find discoveries in science that so closely parallel discoveries of science that um, they give a, a, um, a boost of confidence to people who are wanting the two to, to come together. So it's there in potential, but what I like to do is I like to look for the intersections. I like to look for uh, comments, um, theories in science, tenets in religion or experiential spirituality that do intersect, that you can make a clear connection between them. Um, so we started our conversation and I invoked M-theory. Well, M-theory is a rich connection to many spiritual teachings. It, it supports the notion of astral uh, regions, the heavens. It supports the notion of us having an astral body or a subtle energy body. And we, I, I mentioned that the universe that we inhabit is considered to be an astral projection. But it's yeah. more complete than that, is that every physical body that is operating in this astral projection is itself an astral, astral projection. And so our physical body, as is part of experiential spiritual teachings, a projection of our astral body. And without our astral body, we don't have a physical body. And that we are so much more in our astral body, our thoughts, our emotions, our memories, our intentions, uh, all reside in our astral self not in our physical self. Okay, so I, I, you saw me nodding my head. You connected a dot for me in, in kind of an obvious but subtle way for me. Um, I've always felt that, it's an odd way to say, but you know, like when I look at people's energy bodies, I always kind of feel like I flip an eyelid of some kind. And I've always had this idea that people are being projected into this energy grid. Like it's hard for me to explain, but I know you're following mm -hmm. me. And I went a projection because I've always said people just look like projections. And uh, it, it, you just said that, and I went, oh yeah, because they are <laughs> right. That's yeah. exactly right because we are a projection. Wow, I I love that so much. We're we're actually going to take a station break. But you can tell that this is a uh, remarkable conversation this morning with uh, Joseph Selby. He's written several books. His new book, Break Through the Limits of the Brain, uh, is very readable and very wonderful. Lots of exercises in it that can help you. Um, this is Loretta Brown. We're going to take a little station break. Please don't go away. When we come back, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into projections. Energy is powerful. It's all around us, mysterious, full of potential. 
directing positive healing energy to raise your vibrational rate through Reiki can change your life. Reiki master Loretta Brown has relieved stress, sadness, anger, and even helped clients lose weight, stop smoking, and end sleep disorders. Worldwide, people have sought out Reiki Oasis. If you want help with your dis-ease, visit ReikiOasis.com. Harness life's energy. Visit ReikiOasis.com today. Alternative Talk 1150. We're on your radio at 1150 AM. We're on your HD radio at 98.9 Channel 3. So many ways to listen. We're on the web at 1150kknw.com. Streaming live audio and video as well as MP3 archives of many of our shows. So many ways to listen. And now, we're on your smartphone or tablet. Download our free app in the Apple App Store or Google Play and take Alternative Talk 1150 anywhere you go. So many ways to listen. Alternative Talk 1150, here to uplift your day. Welcome back to the original Loretta Brown Show with my guest, Joseph Selby. We're talking about his new book, (laughs) Break Through the Limits of the Brain. I want to remind everybody that you can uh, listen to this show over and over again. You can find it on the archives, 1150KKNW, the original Loretta Brown Show archives. We're also on iTunes, Podcast One, Spotify, uh, YouTube, we're kind of all over the place, and there are hundreds and hundreds of shows from amazing uh, thought leaders who are out there helping to bring us to where we need to be. Uh, before the break, we were talking about astral projections and things like that. During the break, I want to bring this forward because you were in the middle of talking about this. Um, you said something to the extent, and I'm going to let you correct me, um, something to the extent that people think that our thoughts and feelings create us and it's not that way so could you jump into there and because i think it's important what you're saying well it's very easy for us to identify with this physical body as us and that everything we experience the thoughts we think the emotions we have the memories we can recall our will our interest in what we're doing all is generated in some way from the brain and that 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 that's it that's the totality of who we are but more and more it's clear uh even scientifically that thought is not generated by the brain thought is not a a product of neurons interacting and sparking with each other thought comes non-locally as does emotion, as do our memories. And that we're we're simultaneously living in two realities that are perfectly meshed and interpenetrating. So we have our subtle reality manifesting as our subtle body, and we have our physical reality manifesting as our physical body. But they are inextricably connected. So it appears to us that we have a thought and we are operating in our physical body, but we don't realize that that thought came from our more subtle half or even more than half, and that that emotion came from that other subtle part of us and not from the physical body. But when you meditate, uh, and particularly for those who have had near-death experiences, Mm -hmm. 
they go into the, the, the astral regions, into the heavens, and they're often surprised, even shocked, that they're still who they are. <laughs> that they that yeah. they look to themselves yeah. the same, even though they know the body is more subtle, and they have the same thoughts, they have the same attitudes, they have the same feelings. They are completely who they were moments ago, only now without the physical encasement. So we're constantly in that dual reality. And so when you meditate and you start to have wonderful feelings of joy and happiness and calmness, you're becoming more attuned to your subtle reality that's always there and less aware of your physical body. It's really what near-death experience is, is that they've suddenly, and it, this is not a recommended practice. <laughs> <laughs> don't do this at home. <laughs> don't do this at home, but they have suddenly become completely unaware of their physical body. And when that flip takes place, they become completely aware of their subtle astral body. So when we meditate, the less we feel our physical body, the less aware we are, the less we move, the more we are aware of the astral. And astral is wonderful. The astral is movingly, joyfully, peacefully loving. It's the best of us that we, that we know now. Yeah, I... I'm smiling. I've had a couple of near-death experiences and I've interviewed people who have had them. And um, I had never actually thought about the fact that what you just said, but it's actually true. You are yourself and you know you are you and you recognize others, right? And, um, but this beautiful place, you said something earlier about how when you got into meditation, I wrote it down, that you it felt like you were more the person that you wanted to be. Yes, that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that experience, yeah, that psychedelic experience just proved to me, you know, beyond just intellectually considering it, but actually experiencing this deeper and 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 I'm sure that it is this connection I made to subtle reality that I was living from that, even though, I was still operating in the physical body. And it allowed me to realize that that's what saints are. That's what mystics are. That's what folks like yourself are. You operate with the awareness of deeper reality simultaneously. Yes. That there's no conflict, that you, you don't even realize you're going in or out of uh, you know, focus with one or the other. They're both equally real to you. And that's what I wanted. That was living in that way was what I really discovered I wanted the most in life. And that set me on the path of Yogananda's teachings and Kriya meditation and serving in any way I could because through service, I felt more attunement yeah. to that subtle reality. Yeah. And it became my whole life. Yeah. Yeah. So bringing that down into where somebody listening might be, I'm, I'm thinking, so 
my perceptions, I, I'm going to use these words, that, you know, my perceptions of the world um, may be hardwired into me. My brain is limiting me somehow. Um, and I'm thinking also of so many people have been saying to me lately, how do I, how do I become who I really want to be, right? Mm-hmm. So you can jump in there anywhere you want. Like it's kind of a question, but it's also like, you can tell it's kind of the way I work. Like I'm, I'm thinking, so if I am uh, this, you know, definition of self, right. And I have this idea somewhere on the inside of me, like if I ever sat still long enough, I could go, oh yeah, I'm actually a being of light and love. And I want to do blah, blah, blah. I want to help people. Right. Mm-hmm. So why is our brain so limiting? Does that actually serve us? And how do we break through those limits? The brain is perhaps not innately limiting, but it's the way we have wired it that is our limit. So all of us, when we think, well, I just want to be more, I want to be that better self. The reason we don't immediately start manifesting that is that we've already wired our brain to our old self our old habits, our old tendencies of the way we react. And it's really quite powerful. The brain is, unless we, as you put it at the beginning, unless we take a big breath, pause, focus in the moment, our brain is just going to keep running along like a train that you know is on an infinite track and as we go along with the train yeah we have these emotions we have these thoughts we do these things but there's a surprisingly high degree of that is automatic behavior there was a book written and i'm sorry um, that i can't remember the author's name right off the top of my head but it's called uh, thinking fast and slow and the, the title sort of says the story that Fast thinking is the automatic thinking. We just we just go along with whatever our thought was and whatever it suggests we should do, but that we can slow it down. We can be deliberate. So the challenge for us to become the person we want to become is to think slow, to get centered. And the best way I know to do that is to develop a habit of meditation. So that while you're in meditation, to begin with, it's just it's just while you're in meditation yeah. that you slow down and you have these experiences. But that rewires your brain. That starts creating these circuits of I can be in the moment. I can be slower. I can not have to have this train of thoughts perpetually talking to me. Uh, Michael Singer in his book referred to that as the annoying roommate that <laughs> co-inhabits your, your mind, your life, right? <laughs> Constantly giving you yeah. thoughts and comments. But that's the program that we created. We created the annoying roommate that lives in our mind with us by our programming in the brain. But we did it then. We can undo it. 
So whatever you want to be, however you want to be in life, you need to start doing it methodically so that you build new circuits that also fire automatically, but at least they are the automatic habits of being and behavior that you want. Meditation is key. Um, introspection is extremely important. Take the time to realize what is it that you want and what is it that is the old roommate that you no longer want. That's great. Um, the annoying roommate, yes. That will actually help a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I like, I like that. Um, so meditation, because I obviously totally believe in it, right? Meditation helps us slow down, right? Like I, I remember also my mother saying, Loretta, just slow down, right? Just slow down. And um, helps us in it, as far as I'm concerned, I, I think of it like a slow motion. Like when you're watching something that goes by really fast and you're like, oh, I got to I got to take that back and slow it way down so I can really take a look at it. And I want you to talk a little bit about. Tension, how that how that interacts with us, and also because so many people are asking me right now, like um, they're saying things like I, I want to do something different, like I don't like what I'm doing. I, I don't like my job. I want to do something with more service, but I don't have any clarity. So. Yeah. Yes. Clarity, you know, is is a is a blessing. It it is something that um really helps us move forward because it gives us confidence, particularly emotional confidence that we're moving in the right direction. How to get to clarity, I you know, I already mentioned introspection. I think that really helps you get that kind of clarity. You just take the time to look at your day and the best way i know to introspect is to ask yourself a particular question over and over you know from day after day after day for four weeks and a simple one is what happened today that i liked what happened today that i didn't like and what were the triggers? What triggered me to have the kind of experience that I wanted and what triggered me to have the kind of day or experiences during that day that I didn't want? Don't be judgmental. Don't have any sense of you should already be organized as certain a certain kind of person. Just be honest. You're only talking to yourself. You don't have to, you know, bare your soul to anyone. Just ask yourself those questions over and over. And the key to that, the, the biggest gain to that process is to recognize what's triggering you. Mm. What is it that sets you off in a way you don't want to be set off in? And the more you can kind of dial that in, you can then come up with kind of antidotes to those triggers. So usually what we don't like is a negative trigger. Um, something makes us feel hurt. Something makes us feel unsafe. Something makes us feel unworthy. 
whatever it might be, we typically have multiple things that, you know, multiple emotional patterns that run our lives. But pick the one that is most powerfully running your life. Is it that you don't feel unsafe? Is it that you don't feel worthy? Is it that you um, just don't feel loved? Pick that. Pick one of those. And then look for things you can do. Affirmations are one of the most powerful. But it's good to have when you do affirmations, supporting activities that will change your brain. What you're doing with affirmation is you're rewiring. So if your initial response is, I am unsafe, and therefore I have to react to protect myself, I have to protect my heart, I have to protect my life, I have to protect those I love, that is a very common pattern these days, because it feels like the, the world is out to get us, right? <laughs> Politically, emotionally, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it seems like it's a very difficult time. So that feeling is supported by circuits in the brain that automatically fire in a wide variety of circumstances. So start building new circuits. Start affirming your deep, complete, infinite safety in God. Now we say this to ourselves intellectually. You could ask anybody who's been on the spiritual path for any amount of time, or even if they don't consider it a spiritual path, if it's a path of, of self-development and self-expansion, they will say, yes, of course, I am more than I think I am. But you have to believe it in heart as well as in mind. And to do that, affirmations are really powerful. Repeat them to yourselves when you meditate. Repeat them to yourselves when you have that moment to take pause and, and take a breath. That I am infinitely and eternally safe in the loving arms of spirit. Now, that's not the only affirmation you can do, trying to convey a kind of affirmation that you should develop for yourself. Do it for weeks to months. And what you will find is that you have a strong competing circuit that you've created in your brain that will automatically trigger positive feelings of safety and well-being before the negative circuits of feeling unsafe are triggered. So you're, you're literally rewiring your brain with your actions. And pick one thing to do. Don't try to rewire the brain for everything you've noticed in your introspection <laughs> that you no longer like, right? It's too much. Right. Pick one thing, do it well, make it a part of your meditation, make it a part of your life so that you do that affirmation often. And you'd be surprised how quickly you can be in competition with the old wiring that you no longer like.
it, it, you can create new channels for your life force and your attention to go through surprisingly quickly. But if you don't do this, what you will find is that your life will always be a mix of those triggers you don't like and the triggers you do like. Take charge, realize that it's yours to do and that there's nothing that can stop you from doing it and doing it successfully if you choose to do it. And then that's where you break through the limits of the brain. So just bringing it back to one of the questions you asked is, the limits of the brain are the wiring of our old self that we no longer want. We can create new wiring that not only gives us that feeling of safety, but also allows us to experience subtle realities that are beyond the physical world. And that's the breakthrough. Yes, absolutely. That was, um, that's great. I, I really recommend everybody just get your book, Breakthrough the Limits of the Brain. You have um, really highly effective meditation techniques in there. You've got um, jewels, gems, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I just want to encourage people. Sometimes we're in this place where, like you say, that train in our head just won't that annoying roommate just won't be quiet and, let, and stop it. And the very first step, of course, is, is learning to just quiet that down, just stop a little bit. And then I think you also embody or represent, you know, how you live uh, your day-to-day -day life. Like you're an IT guy, you know, you're mm -hmm. a, a smart guy like that. But you also bring this aspect into your life, which makes your life somewhat extraordinary or different and and i want to encourage people that that is really how we should be living in my opinion so how do people stop the train how do they get how do they really get onto this and i'm hearing you say too that if you do this again and again you do it a little bit little bit little bit then you're gonna it's really gonna lay down like it really is just simply that yes so your brain supports whatever you do repeatedly the very simple proposition. Uh, and so do the things that you want to do. You have to do them deliberately to begin with because you have no uh, already established neural circuits to support that behavior. So it takes will and attention initially. But then the brain will start supporting all the behaviors, including emotional responses, which I think are the yes. most powerful drivers of everything that we do in life. We want to feel happy. We want to feel good. We want to feel love. We want to feel joy. This is the, the motivation for pretty much everything we do in life. If our emotions are pulling us in directions we don't want to go, we have to open ourselves to new levels of feeling and emotion. And I always circle back to meditation. There's nothing else you hear in this talk or take away from any book that I write or anything that any spiritual teacher tells you. Take meditation. Meditation is experiential. That's the key. I can talk to you forever about how meditation is, but it won't have any meaning to you until you meditate, until you actually experience it. 
And then once you experience it, and once you get a taste for the, you know, de-stressing, the, the calming, the awakening of wonderful, peaceful, joyful, loving feeling, then you'll never want to stop. It, it, it is the, it's not that meditation is that, it's that meditation gives you access to that. And that access is the infinite consciousness of, of God or the absolute or spirit, however you want to think of it. That's what you're accessing when you meditate. Well, for me too, it just makes life richer and deeper. Like there's meaning to it. There's there's purpose. I don't know. It energizes me or it strengthens me or lifts me up in some fashion as opposed to it's just the 3D chop wood, carry water, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I show up a little different. So um, where can people find you, find out more about you, your book and your other books? So I have a website uh, with my name, the Joseph Selby, that's spelled S-E-L-B-I-E, somewhat unusual spelling of Selby. Uh, so josephselby.com. And on that website, you can find uh, more information about all my books, um, The Physics of God, as well as the Breakthrough the Limits of the Brain. And there are articles that you can read. You can read the first chapters of my books to give you uh, a deeper sense of them before you maybe go further. All of that's available. All the books are available through the usual uh, e-tailers, Amazon, and you can find them with um, Kindle versions and versions as well. Many, many people these days like to listen to their books. And so that is a, a possibility for all the books that I've written. And they all have the same theme of where science and spirituality connect. So um, we have less than a minute left. What do you mean when you say all things are neutral? All things what? Are neutral? Ah, that's a good question because we tend to think that the things that are happening to us are good or bad. We all do it. It's very natural. You know, oh, that person was mean to me. That's bad. Or that person loved me and that was good. But what we're allowing ourselves to do by defining them as good or bad is to cause ourselves to react and to, to uh, wire ourselves to be up when things are good and down when things are bad. And it's the down when things are bad, or at least we think we're bad, that makes us unhappy, makes life difficult. But if we can learn to appreciate that we're defining our reaction and that we can be in control of that reaction, and instead of being down when people are mean or conditions are not what we want, we can remain centered, calm, peaceful, loving, regardless. That is very powerful. 